Welcome to another edition of the Green Beers Podcast. As always, that is AJ. He is the green. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I am the beige. And this week, we are going forward. We have Justin back again from This Just In. Justin, how are you doing, my brother? I am good. I was hoping that we could go five wide like Los Angeles <laughs> Rams, but I'll see you. <laughs> <laughs> and also, we have Ricky Nurse returning again. How are you doing, Ricky? I'm great, sir. I have the slot position occupied this evening. <laughs> <laughs> Big slot receiver. So, Love yeah, to see it. I am so happy to have you guys here in what is officially our Super Bowl preview episode. But, of course, as what's been happening in the NFL, too much has been going on for us to spend this entire time just talking about the Super Bowl. So, as you would have seen and as you would have been here for us before, we've recently started going, what the what? As we go off the wreck. So, I'm going to give you first, AJ. What the what? What was your what the what this week? Oh, I'll I'll be first to say I had no interest, nor did I look at any footage of the Pro Bowl last weekend. Cares not about it. Exactly. My what the what, though, the most interesting thing was outside of that. It was actually Kyler Murray. (laughs) It was actually (laughs) Kyler Murray scrubbing his IG account clean of any sign of the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, no, it's, the reason why this is kind of funny to me is, Ken, just a few days ago, right, we were involved in a conversation, in a chat, guys, where we were speaking about um, how, about the public's interpretation of things done on social media by people in the spotlight, right? Yep. Certain occurrences that take place are taken out of context, and in my opinion, my humble opinion, they are assessed too intricately. But this is not one of those, though. <laughs> this is this is not one of those. Calamari, it's not like Calamari is a boomer or a Gen X. This man is actually a Gen Z. He is the social media uh, in the social media generation, right? Yep. So him wiping all trace of the Cardinals from his IG account, just man just scrubbed them completely clean, like Brillo pad clean. <laughs> man left two photos, one of him being a Sooner, and then one of him um, participating in the just concluded Pro Bowl, right? Listen, I, I, I don't know what it means, that, but this is not a coincidence, nor is it a non-story. This is a story. The man is not following the Cardinals anymore on IG, and, and I, I actually scroll through his Twitter, and I don't know if I miss it, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't follow them on Twitter either. But he's following OU, he's following the, o, the Oakland A's, he's following the MLB, right? I don't know what this means. Uh, um, I don't know what he was doing, but... He knows what it means, and he knows exactly what he was doing. Even his agent declined to comment on the existence or, 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 or to deny any existence of any potential story. That was the what the what for me. <laughs> I, like, that, that was, it was too much of a story to, to overlook. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up because with everything else that's happening this week, I didn't even have that in the rundown. But yeah, <laughs> that, that is definitely one that was out of left field. I hope he's not using Oakland A's as some means of 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 a bargaining tool, because yeah. clearly his social media skills are not up to par. Because he would know that Major League Baseball is in a lockout and is in nowhere close to having that lockout solved. Hey, bro. So what? Whatever, whatever bargaining chip he thinks he has with Oakland A's. No, 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 Taylor. 
So what were you just saying? What made you go walk the walk this week? Ken, AJ, Ricky already know how I am, so I'm going to apologize to y'all. <laughs> I know that we're going to touch on it later in the show, but you asked me what's the walk. We had a black coach turn, sit down and put a lawsuit on you for claiming racism, and then you turn around and still have eight of your night openings given to white men. And the night that you gave a black man was a job that nobody wanted. And you basically gave it to a 62-year-old man this looking to return. I know we could touch on this, but no, you asked me what is my what what? And here it goes. The goalpost continually moves for these black coaches. What is the talk that we continually hear? That these owners want offensive minds to groom these quarterbacks. And yet, that didn't stop Matt Eberflus from getting a job in Chicago with a first-round draft pick in Justin Fields. So what happened there? You don't want Eric Bieniemy. It didn't stop, again, when we talked about Eric Bieniemy not getting um, jobs. The other thing they brought up is because he doesn't call plays under Andy Reid over there in Kansas City. Guess who also didn't call plays under Andy Reid in Kansas City? Matt Nagy and Doug Peterson. And they left and got head coaching jobs in the same Chicago and Philadelphia, respectively. And now Doug Peterson has another head coaching job with another young quarterback prospect that he's going to mess up. <laughs> and the NFL, in replying to the enemy's lawsuit, the exact words was, what was it again? There's nothing... What, what no was merit. It? Help me. Pardon me? No merit. Ah, that the claims have no merit. The, the claims were meritless. Meritless, yeah. Eight of your nine head coaching jobs you give again to all Wickman and the night was a Houston Texans job that none of the four of us would even touch. And Lovey Smith is basically looking at it as his retirement package. Yeah, hey. that's my what you want. What about you, Ricky? What's your what you yeah. want for this week? My what to what is closely related to what Justin said. It is the, the reality that Josh McNown was a finalist for the same job. Josh McNown was a finalist on the basis of cooking pancakes for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, making breakfast for that team. Um, he was an assistant coach. Listen to this resume, gentlemen, at Rusk High School in Texas, where his sons play. And in his 2019 stint with the Philadelphia Eagles, he was allowed to fly to Charlotte on Mondays for high school practice and game planning, and then again on Fridays for game days. This man, that's the resume of the man that made the final three for the Houston Texans head coaching job. I know it was overshadowed by, by a lot of, well, the final two, sorry, thanks, Justin. I know it was overshadowed by a lot of the other storylines, but when I really sat down and listened to that, I said, no, I got to research this man's background because clearly I'm missing something in this man's career that this man made it to the finals of this job. And when I did that, um, anybody who is a real beige, you know, there's a thin line between HR and RH, right? And when you're <laughs> HR doing RH, you must comment on it. But that was my what the what, gentlemen. So, yeah, so I mean, yeah, Josh McCown getting all the way to the to the end of or any coaching hire 
process. Definitely would make you still walk the walk, especially when we have quality candidates, quality minority candidates that are not even getting a look at it. Now, my walk the walk this week, it was just the whole damn Pro Bowl. <laughs> Everything to deal with what happened on Sunday. I said, for the purposes of this show, I was going to watch some of it, as much as I could. But I missed the entire game live. Thank God, no NFL Network put it on tape delayed. So I was able to catch it then. And it's one thing when we were talking about playing football, and, you know, well, we're not going full speed or what have you. It's the next thing we're playing too high touch, though. Because that's what it was for the entire game. Nobody was really getting tackled. Nobody was getting knocked down. The quarterbacks, everybody threw a pick. It was ridiculous. They need to find a way to fix the Pro Bowl, but really and truly, the Pro Bowl is unfixable. Anyway, enough of that. Super Bowl 56 is going to be much more competitive, and it is here. After 276 regular season games, 12 playoff games, the big dance is finally here. The Cincinnati Bengals face off against the Los Angeles Rams in SoFi Stadium for the right to hoist the Lombardi Trophy. The Bengals opened as a 4.5 point underdog and honestly it hasn't really changed with them being 4 to 4.5 point underdogs depending on which sports book you check. So Ricky, we give you first crack at this one. What is the key for the Bengals against the Rams on Sunday? Yes, sir. I think the key for the Bengals, believe it or not, will be a gentleman by the name of Joe, but not Joe Burrow, not Joe Shiesty, not all the other names that Joe Cool and all the other Joe names that this young man has, but Joe Mixon. And I think people are underestimating Joe Mixon because they, obviously everybody's falling in love with Joe Cool. Reality of it is if the Bengals are going to pull off this victory, they have to find a way to take this much maligned offensive line, put them to work as road graders, um, generating three and a half to four chunks for Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon has to go into this game now. Buddy, you may touch this ball 24 times if we were to win it. And you have to do something that I've seen teams do successfully against the Rams, including, ironically, the 49ers. And you have to make that pass rush become invisible as you just keep running it and running it. Sometimes you're not going to get a whole lot, but you're going to make them exert themselves. You're going to frustrate them. And you're going to change the rhythm and the expectation of that game by trying to win some matchups in those trenches. I think if Joe Mixon can give us the kind of game that I know that young man has in him, we're going to have ourselves a ball game on Sunday. What were you just saying? What do the Bengals have to do? What is the key for them against the Rams? I think Ricky basically said it all. The problem is, I've always said, football is one in the trenches. And Cincinnati, of all these playoff teams, likely has the worst offensive line. And they're playing against likely the best defensive line in the playoffs. You're going to have to find a way to keep Joe Burrow up. And... It's going to be hard when you're facing the likes of Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd and Vaughn Miller. So like Ricky said, it's going to be my estimation, you're going to have to give them a heavy dose of the run. And even if not, like what they did against Kansas City to great effect, 
you're going to have to throw in some screens behind those vaunted pass rushers that just called the play. Put in like five or six actual called design screens to slow them down. Because I can tell you this now, gentlemen, Cincinnati is not dropping back 30, 35 plus times in this game and expecting to win. Like that is like Aaron Donald is going to feast on that offensive line. I mean, this is an offensive line I think that's given up 12 sacks in three games in the playoffs, including nine against Tennessee. And their defensive line, they don't think it's as good as the Rams. So imagine what you're going to do. Like you cannot afford to drop back 30 to 35 times. So exactly what Ricky said, offensive linemen prefer to obviously push forward and run block. So you're going to have to incorporate Joe Mixon a lot, whether it's running football, throwing some screens. And then on the opposite end, you just can't let Cooper Cup run well. Like, like that's asking for trouble in this game. Like you cannot do that. And I know OBJ in these playoffs have has become an extremely great 1B or second option, if you want to call him that. But you're going to have to live with that because as it stands this season, Cooper Cup has shown you, at least by stats and numbers, he's the best wide receiver in the game. You're going to have to blanket him. You're going to have to send safety help over that side and live with anything else, whether it be OBJ, whether it be, you know, if they decide to ram Cam Akers down your throat, you're going to have to tell the Rams, we're going to live with that, but it can't be Cooper Cup all day. Okay. What will you, AJ? What is the key for the Bengals against the Rams? Well, I feel like Justin was looking at my notes, but I have one of the exact same lines that he just used. I have one line here, right? And that's keep Joe Burrow upright. That is what they need to do. Um, no, I, I, I'm not going to get into the points that the guy so just eloquently articulated about Joe Mixon and using the run game. I, I agree with those as well. But the main thing here for me is to keep Joe Burrow upright. And it is a big ask. I understand that because we, they, that offensive line has not been able to do it all season. Joe Burrow has been the most sacked quarterback. And then Justin even made reference to um, the nine sacks against, against the Titans. They can't afford to do that this time because Ryan Tannehill is not the, the quarterback on the other side of the football. Now, not saying that Matthew Stafford is the world beater, but he's definitely better than Ryan Tannehill, right? Um, it is going to be important that, that Joe Burrow get into this game, not just because of what he can do, but because of how he rallies the team. So he is a man that has proven to be a leader on this team. And even like, he doesn't seem to get flustered um, getting knocked down so many times, right? I think that is, is, is of paramount importance here because he, he needs to have his head on for this entire game. As, as integral as um, Joe Mixon and I can't even recall who's their backup if they, if they use a backup. Maybe right. in this... Samaji right? oh, is Sam Oh, is Sam that's where Samaji is, right? There we go. Samaji Piran, all right. He's, he, he'll get a few touches as well. Um, also, also, I agree with the fact that they, they will need to use some screen passes. Get, they might even have to get the tight ends involved um, with, with a little more blocking um, on that line as well. But Joe Burrow needs to stay upright for them to have any chance of winning this game or it even being a contest. It has to be that. They, it, as long as, as and we know what Leonard Floyd and Vaughn Miller, who I have to go back on, uh, on my, <laughs> my earlier take on him, and, and um, Aaron Donald can potentially do here, but 
as much as the Bengals have these other factors that may come into play, this is all going to be down to Joe Burrow to win this game for them. So if they can't keep him up and, and keep him on the field and um, give him the ability to extend and make these plays, because most likely, what I feel is going to happen most likely is that I, I, really, I really think more so that... Um, why are names eluding me right now? Anyway, Jalen Ramsey, I think, is going to be on T. Higgins, most likely. And uh, not Jamar Chase? Because, because I, I feel like they might put Chase in double coverage. That's why. Double Chase. And then put Jalen Ramsey on T. Higgins. So you're leaving basically like Tyler Boyd alone, right? It, that, that is going to, obviously, is going to cause a, a, a bit of problems for them. Um, the Bengals, that is. So they really need... Joe Burrow to be the one to extend and make plays with everything that is going to be happening because that is going to happen. They're going to have problems dealing with that um, secondary as well. So if Joe Burrow can't stay upright, there's no chance at all. No matter if, if Joe Mixon goes for a buck 50 in this game, it has to be Joe Burrow. So my point for this one is pretty much an amalgamation of everything you guys said. Um, so I said Mixon needs to be big in this game. I don't need to go back over that because you guys have so eloquently stated that as well. The offensive line has to be able to hold up against the rush. And one thing I have, though, Justin, is that differs slightly from your point. Now, you said that they must keep Cooper Cup under control. That is correct. But they also need to stymie the run of the Rams. Because if they don't stymie the run, then play action is going to kill them. And they need to be able to build their own play action to get the ball to their wideouts. Because if they aren't able to establish the run, and then Burrow has to drop about 35, 40 times, as you guys have said, there's no way that the Bengals are going to win this game. So that's looking at it from the Cincinnati side. But the Rams are now the second team in succession to play the Super Bowl in their home stadium. And we know how good Unfortunately, that went for the last one. Now, the money is on the Rams to make it two out of two for the home team. But, Justin, what do they have to do to lift their first Lombardi since 1999? Just avoid turning over the football. And Matt Stafford has done a good job of that so far in the playoffs. I think he has six touchdowns as opposed to just the one interception. Albeit, it really should be two interceptions had a certain San Francisco defensive back not dropped the dolly that all four of us would have comfortably taken. You just have to avoid the turnovers. And I won't get into my pick right now, but I like them doing that simply because, again, what we saw against the Chiefs where the Bengals defensive coordinator just outright fooled Patrick Mahomes in terms of starting in cover two. And then dropping a dropping one of those safeties in the middle and essentially just rushing three, dropping eight into coverage and tricking Patrick Mahomes often to thinking that it was cover two when it was just really one high safety with eight dropping back. I don't think that you can trick Stafford with that. I think Stafford has seen it all, like all his 13 years. He's seen enough and he's experienced enough to know what's coming or to see and be able to pick up because part of the issue I have with Patrick Mahomes is that not only is he a backyard style quarterback, but he still has to be able to read defensive pre-snaps. Sorry, read defensive 
pre-snap, and he's not really great at that. I think Matt Stafford, 13 years, has given him the experience to be able to do that, so I'm not sure how much trickery that they can pull on Stafford. So reality is just don't turn over the football. To your point about being able to run the football against Bengals, I think this is a very underrated defensive front that stops the run. So I'm not sure how much Cam Akers is going to get in this game. But again, the Rams don't really want to run the football. I don't think there's a team in the league that comes out in more three wide receiver sets than Los Angeles. So that's what they want to come out and do. And Sports Center showed this today a stat about the problems that the Bengals have in the secondary in terms of yardage that they give up. So all they say just don't turn over the football and do what you do on defense in terms of defensive front. Like you have a leaky offensive line, do what you do in terms of um, Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, Vaughn Miller, get after the passer. If they want to throw a lot of screens, if they want to go and give Joe Mixon the football a lot, so be it. Because again, this is not a team that wants to run the football a lot. They want to spread you out with Jamar Chase and, and T. Higgins and, and uh, Boyd, um, Boyd, as we talked about earlier. So if they're going to beat you, let them beat you doing something they don't want to do. And their strength of this team is their passing attack. So get after that offensive lane. Just play clean football. And I think the rounds will be okay. Oh, yeah. What about you, Ricky? What do well, we for me... I did not have the Rams to be here. As you guys know, I entered your um, Green Day uh, playoff pool. I'm proud to say that I was one of two people in your playoff pool who had the Bengals in the Super Bowl. So me and um, Large Off Mario Vardapool, we both had the Bengals in the Super Bowl. I'm sure people thought we were crazy. But <laughs> I, am do, but... A, I am not a Sean McVay fan. Let me declare my hand. Early anybody who knows me knows that. I've seen him make a lot of boneheaded um, decisions in these playoffs. I've seen it throughout the season. I think he's one of these people who's so obsessed with himself that he feels that he has to do something to have a stamp on the game. And I think we will have that moment again in this Super Bowl, especially in LA with the world watching. Against that background, as the politicians like to say, I expect something is going to go wrong. And we know, Matthew Stafford, you're going to get your opportunities as if you hold on to them. Um, 49ers could argue they could be here now if they held on to their opportunities. So for me, I think that the pressure is actually going to be on LA, playing in LA. I don't think there's anything called a discernible home field advantage in LA either. So therefore, you don't really have an advantage. You have the pressure associated with the expectation, as you said, Ken, four and a half point favorites. All of the stars are on your side of the football, generally, other than the opposing QB. So I do expect there's going to be a moment where LA is sputtering, and we will see if, if the Bengals are able to capitalize on that. I agree that I don't think that this is going to be a Cam Akers game, because McVeigh has shown us that he not only wants to win, but he wants to win playing a certain way. And he does not use... Henderson, Akers, any of his running backs, Sony Michelle, like he used Todd Gurley. Doesn't use them as the same Swiss Army knife. I don't think he's going to wait till the Super Bowl in LA to do that. So I do think there'll be a quarter, maybe a quarter and a half, that the Rams start to McVeigh, where he used that as a verb. <laughs> and in that moment, it's a question of if Cincinnati is able to capitalize. Oh, yeah. So, AJ, 
Your turn. Tell me about the Rams in this game. Once again, I need to echo some points that have already been made because my first point is that Matthew Stafford needs to protect the football and not try to play hero ball because Justin mentioned that he only has one interception so far in the postseason, but he did also aptly put that it should be two. It really should be two because Matthew Stafford seems to want to give the other team opportunities um, every time he plays as well. Not as badly as Jimmy G, but... But he, he, he seems to want to, right, to make it a contest. Um, and we know also that he was joint leader in picks in the regular season. It is, it is a, a, of great importance. The, the most important thing here, because as, as the guys um, already stated, and which I agree with, McVeigh is going to do this through Matthew Stafford. This is not going to be a run-heavy game, in my opinion, for the Rams. He's going to use his, his new toy, who is Matthew Stafford. I... I I told you, Ken, a few weeks ago that it seemed that the Rams were coming together at the right time. And I think right now that they've gotten to this stage, that we'll go back to what we were seeing in the regular season when the team was taking off of the back of Matthew Stafford, right? So this man needs to protect the ball, mainly. That's it. And not try to play too much hero ball. Um, we expect that Cooper Cup is going to, uh, are they going to attempt to take away Cooper Cup? So I also think that OBJ is definitely going to be of utmost importance in this game. And let me, let me, I, I don't want to be the one to say this, right? But since no one wants to say it, let me just, let me just be frank. They need to target Eli Apple. That's what they need to do. Wherever <laughs> Eli Apple is on the field, throw the ball in that direction. And pretty much that's it. That's it. Because he is the, he's not going to be an MVP. He's not going to have an MVP game. And by golly gee, if he does... As usual, I'll come back on my accurate or not segment and say that I was wrong. But right now, I don't see it. So wherever Eli Apple is on the field, whatever receiver he's covering, I don't care if he has help, throw the ball over there. Well, I would like to, at some point, try to defend Eli Apple. But it's not going to be today. After what he did when he was at <laughs> me. So, all best to Eli Apple going into this game. But what I have noted here is that the Rams just need to remember who they are and what they are good at, which is the play-action game, bootlegs, establishing the run, and then allowing Cup and OBJ to run free when Cincinnati has to make adjustments to try to stop the run. If they can get a lead, then they will allow the pass rush to get after Burrow, as we've established before, the O-line is a weakness for the Bengals after giving up nine sacks to the Titans. I'm keeping my points very succinct today. So, Justin, I know you said um, before we started that you are most likely going to be doing a show previewing the Super Bowl on Sunday. So we'll exempt you from this question. But who oh, is... No. No, you can you could give me. I, I, I said it. I said it Monday night already, and I'm okay. going to say it tomorrow night. I'm going to stay all week, so I'm good. All right. So who wins the Super Bowl then? I was. Oh, you start. You yes, starting with me? Yeah, starting with you. Who wins? I just have this thing. I don't want to bet against Joe Burrow, Joe Burr, Joe Cool, Joe Breezy, <laughs> whatever you want to call him. I absolutely love the kid, but. I said this over and over, football is played in the trenches. I know we like to take our eyes to position players. We like to look at quarterbacks. We like to look at wide receivers and et cetera, et cetera. But football is one of the trenches. And just last season, Ricky will tell you, we watched, we had a watch party. And we mm -hmm. sat down and saw 
Tampa Bay absolutely obliterate um, City. Kansas City's offensive line and had Patrick Mahomes running for his life. And I, I think we're going to see a situation, the same thing here. This old line is just not good enough. And I don't know if these players are, or the coaching staff is experienced enough to slow down this, this, this vaunted Rams defensive front. Yeah, I'm going to have to go with the Rams in a close one. Okay, you turn, your turn, Ricky. Who wins? And give me a score. Yes, gentlemen. All right, you know, I can play the resident historian here. Take you guys back to February 3rd, 2013, where we had a Super Bowl with a team from the AFC Central versus a team from the AFC West. Sound familiar? The team from the AFC West was favored. The line came like this one. The line was 49ers by four. Against, oh, you mean, you mean the Harbaugh Bowl? Yeah, I'm talking about the Blackout Bowl in New Orleans, where um, one Harbaugh brother came in as, you know, the smart one and the one who had all of the offensive philosophy. Team was favored. No one was really giving the other team a chance. The other team happened to have a quarterback by the name of Joe also. So you see the similarities <laughs> there. Right? And that other team found a way to jump on top of that favored 49ers team in 2013. And I think we're going to see it again. Team from the AFC Central, quarterback named Joe. Everybody, everything about this is telling us the Rams. And I think that this Bengals team is going to do the same thing. They're going to find a way to capitalize on some mistakes. Um, Hilton might, might, might be closed to, to, uh, to some of those Rams wide receivers. Um, and I do think that we're going to get a score of Bengals 34, Rams 31, and Money Mac with the leg may well be the difference in this game. So as much as, and I just agree, everything when I look at it on paper, but this has been a season where nothing is going to plan. So I, I just think this Bengals team is a team of destiny and I don't have any logic to go into why, but I just think that they're going to get it done. They just have that feeling. 34-31 well, well, Bengals. All right. So your, your turn, AJ. Who wins and what's the score? So, Rick, you, you picked the Bengals because, as you said in, in the previous segment, that you had them in your bracket to go to the Super Bowl, right? So you're sticking with your choice. I kind of have to do the same here for the Rams. I have to say the Rams because a few weeks back, uh, Justin, were you on that week? When Ken asked the question about who was the biggest threat to, at the point in time, the question was the Packers in the NFC. I debated that. I said the biggest threat would, if anything, be to the reigning champ Bucks. But my answer was the same. It was the Rams. Since the start of the playoffs, I've been high on the Rams. Um, so I, I can't turn my back on them, now. I've said that I felt like they were coming together at the right time. They were doing the right things. And obviously, no one then you need a bit of luck to get to this position. And they had it when the Niners, as you stated, could not hold on to their opportunities, literally. So I have to stick with the Rams. This is one time I really would not mind being wrong, but based on, <laughs> but just based on how everything has gone, like you, I have a three-point game, but I have it at 31-28. I, I, I still think it's going to be close because at some point, the Bengals are going to have a little run. They, they are going to stay in this game. As bad as the O-line is, I can't see this being a demolition game 
by the Rams because as you 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 pointed out, McVeigh, we talked, we spoke about um Matt Stafford. Something is going to go wrong in Ramville where they're going to let the Bengals into the game. And Joe Burrow is that talented. Um, you, you mentioned that as well. So I think it's a three-point game of 31-28. But I'm gonna see the Rams. If I'm wrong, well, cool. It'll still be fun. <laughs> so like Ricky, it's interesting. Do you know the how is set up on my screen? Ricky and I are over on the right, and you two are over <laughs> on the left. And you two have both picked the Rams to win this game. So guess what? I'm going to stick with my guy, Ricky, over on this side of the screen. <laughs> because I also believe that the Bengals are going to win this game. Like what you guys said, um, I don't have it to be a blow game on either side. However, I said, maybe it was three weeks ago or four weeks ago, I had the Bengals to make it to the AFC Championship game, but I thought that they were a year too early to reach this point, to reach the Super Bowl. They've proven me wrong. And they've proven me wrong because, as lots of other partners have said, this is a, this is a team of youngsters that do not know what they don't Fairly. know. They are going into this game saying we are going to go, we, we're not supposed to be here, so we're going to go there and give it our best shot and see what happens. The defense is better than advertised. The offensive line has been a problem, but they have great skill position players. And to me, they have the better quarterback, even if he's only in year two going into this game. I agree that Sean McVay is probably going to make the game at some point in time, which, as I said, they have to remember what the, who they are and what they're good at. But he is going to come and try to do what he was doing when they were struggling, which is the drop-back game and Matthew Stafford trying to spread the ball all over the field 40 times. That is going to be a problem going into this game. I believe in the LSU boys, Burr and Chase. Burr, Burr. Burr and Chase. Burr. So I have the Bengals winning this game 28 to 24. I, I want that to happen, but here's one pushback. <laughs> I actually feel the Rams should not run in this game simply because, like, that Bengals defensive front is a very underrated one in terms of stopping the run. And I'm quite sure McVeigh knows that. And that secondary isn't the best either. No. Like, we know Stafford gives you chances, but I think in this game against this particular defense, it's the time to actually spread them out and, and, and attack. Especially as AJ so rightly called out, Eli Apple is bad. Like, really, really bad. Like, I target him every single possession and go after him. I find a way to, 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 to either match him up on on either OBJ or, or Cooper Cup by all sorts of motions and whatever. Not just find a way to target him. So I, I get you can't, but I think running the football on that Cincinnati team is a mistake. Like they're really good. I think they they were giving up like four point little yards per carry this season. So that's not exactly defense that you really want to be trudging um Cam Akers back and forth. And we saw the fumbling issue against Tampa Bay. So I, this time they actually like them spread it out against Cincinnati. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but let me just ask just you guys one oh. question, though. Just mm -hmm. one quick question. 
do you think that this the Kansas City offense is better than this Rams offense? Um, I do. Yes, I do. I do. Personnel yes, wise, I do. I do. Yeah, I was just about to say on paper. I would say personnel wise, yeah. But yes and no. Yes, because the quarterback is super dynamic. No, because as you talk about, right, when you match them up, let's get them player for player. Cooper Cup is better than Tyreek Hill. OBJ is better than any of their second wide receivers that they have. Their advantages come with somebody like Travis Kelsey. Clearly, Rams don't have a tight end of that caliber or a short-handed, or sorry, a huge target like, like, like Travis Kelsey. But as weird as it's a book to sound, right, you cannot fool Stafford as badly as you fooled Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes. Yes, Stafford is more turnover prone, but that is a lot of it due to confidence and his gunslinging. Stafford will indeed pick up on what you're trying to do because he's seen it over and over again. Like, you know, you don't play as, you know, average as my division might be. You're going to play the Bears and you're going to play the Vikings twice a year as a Detroit lane. Those are teams known for their defense and their defensive schemes and their ability to hide what they're doing pre-snap or whatever not. So, yes, Stafford, like, Mahomes is better. But when you look at his skill positions, I would say, oh, I got Cam Akers, but Cam Akers is better than, than Clyde Edwards in there. So I would say the skill position players are better for the Rams. But schematically, I would say these Chiefs are the better offense. You had something to say, AJ? Oh, no, I was just kind of um, adding on to the previous point that, well, kind of going back to something I was saying after Justin was speaking, though, Justin, that, and that is kind of why I was, I believe that we are going to see um, Jamar Chase in double coverage because Joe Burrow kind of showed his hand, right? And, and the Rams could call his bluff. And I really feel like it would be very naive if they don't. He said after, after the AFC game, I'm pretty sure it was after the AFC game, when he said, as long as Jamar Chase is, 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 is um, matched up with, uh, against one, as long as he's one-on-one, -on -one, he's going to, to find him, right? I think it will be very naive and foolhardy. And mind you, I'm not even putting this past Sean Bay because I completely agree with everything Ricky said about McVeigh, right? But it would be extremely naive, in my opinion, to just put Jalen Ramsey only on Jamar Chase and then, like, uh, try try to, to, to go one all, all the way through. I think Jamar Chase should be the one double, and I think they will do that, which is why I, I can't even remember the last, how it was related to your point, but it was something related to um, your point about the receivers and whatnot. But yeah, that's, that is kind of, that's kind of why I think it, it'll be even tougher for the Bengals either way. That's, I think that's the underlying point I was getting to. Okay. Well, fellas, I'm throwing it out there early in this episode that I'm inviting both of you back next week so that we get to break down the game and see what we said and how the game played out. So we, everyone who's watching, stay tuned because we will be reviewing this game next uh, Wednesday. But this past weekend was a Pro Bowl. A celebration of the best of the best for this past season. And it was in Vegas, a.k.a. Sin City, 
And one player who apparently wanted to do more sinning than was allowed was my my guy. And still claiming it was my guy today, Alvin Kamara, who got arrested after the Pro Bowl game for battery resulting in serious bodily harm. It is alleged that Kamara threw eight punches into the victim while three members of his group also stomped the man while he was unconscious on the ground in his head, chest, and legs. Kamara said to the police that he punched the victim while he was running away, but the security video and eyewitness accounts show that he was not running away, but he was attacked. Kamara made bail, but could be looking at five years in jail for the battery, and it carries a mandatory $10,000 fine. Most, most interestingly, Kamara was allowed to play in the Pro Bowl, which the police explained was due to a delay in reporting by the victim who was undergoing medical treatment. This fight of sorts was reported to have occurred sometime in the, well, relatively early morning period of Saturday um, because the video showed it was around 6.30 a.m. And the victim has complaints of an orbital fracture, which for those of you who do not know, has a fracture of your eye socket as well as other injuries. No comments have been made by the Saints or by the NFL at this time. So, Ricky, we'll start with you. What is your take on this situation with Kamara and, and all that I just read? Well, the first thing that came to mind is that whatever happens in Vegas does not stay in Vegas, clearly. Um, and as it relates to NFL players, it definitely does not. Um, gentlemen, the last three years, we have seen so many incidents, generally with um, Vegas players. But there's nothing, I, I can't remember who um, the quote is attributed to, but basically it was a quote saying that after a certain time, I think it was 3 a.m., nothing good happens for professional athletes in certain cities. And when I heard it, didn't sound good at first, but then when you hear the number of people involved, you hear the stories of the footage and so on, there's just a bad mix between Vegas and NFL players at certain hours. And it just continues. It just continues. So nothing about it is surprising per se. But I just wish these players would find a way to... And, and I, I use this thing where I say, all of us must have that friend though, who is the one that is the common sense at that kind of hour. And you need that person. Like, there's no way that Alvin could be involved in that if you have a certain type of friend in your in your group, in your entourage, whatever you want to call it. So disappointing, yes. Um, I would hope that somehow, I was hoping or hopeful that somehow there would be, you know, another end of the story. I remember we had a similar story at one point last off season with Aaron Donald and then they went to the tape and realized Aaron Donald actually got up and hightailed out of there. Um, but in this situation, the evidence seems to show that Alvin was very much involved. It's sad, sad to hear. And Vegas just finds a way to keep keep bringing up bad things for our NFL players. Our NFL players find a way to have bad things in Vegas, either, either or. Yeah, what about you, Justin? What's your take on this? I won't pretend to know what it is to be a celebrity, to be an athlete, to be a superstar. But they have to understand that they can't be us. And in saying that, 
they got to stay out of the certain situations, as Ricky said, at particular times, or just stay out of certain, certain situations, period. I get that they want to be normal like everyone else. They want to go to parties like everyone else. They want to go gambling. They just want to be a normal person. They want to be able to go wherever and not be troubled, not be bothered. And I'm not saying that Alvin Kamara here is a victim here. And these are not my words. What I'm, what I'm trying to say, two things. One, you're not normal anymore when you're these guys. You have to stay out of the public domain as much as possible. So if you're going to go, you want to gamble or you want to go to a nightclub, spend your money and rent it out. So that you know, is your boys, it is NFL players, NBA players, superstars like you. Exactly. Where there is no one coming to trouble you. And if it is so much you can't rent out a place or you're not going to Jay-Z like place, who you know, or Michael Jordan place, where you know it is just people like you, then pay to have security that is not your own people. Like pay to have whatever NFL security, whatever Vegas security, where you know these situations you're not going to find yourself in. These players just have to understand when they get to a particular level, you are not a normal person anymore. I know it's hard. You want to party, you want to gamble, you want to go to study, understand these things. But when you make it a certain amount of money, when you get to a level of, of notoriety that these players are, when you have the social media following, when you have the fandom, there are certain things you just can't do because you're inviting trouble. And going to a normal club, whether it be a strip club, whether it be a bar or whatever, unfortunately, trouble is going to follow you. And again, I am not here suggesting that Alvin Kamara is a victim in any way, shape, or form. I'm just saying you have to understand who you are and take all possibilities out of, it, out of the equation. What about you, AJ? What do you have to say about this situation? Again, Justin, you were in my notes, boy. Um, <laughs> so let me start by saying I was actually kind of disappointed, right? Because I, and that could just be my my foolish thoughts because I, I've never held Kamara in that kind of regard as being that kind of troublemaker, right? Oh, getting into a fight is one thing, but having your entire crew beat someone until they're unconscious like that, the first thought that came to my mind is that is some hood-ish, right? Um, and you mentioned Ken, and, and this is, I had all of this to say as well, that as per like Amy Jest via Twitter, she's a, a scenes correspondent for Nolan News, um, she posted some images that, that detailed parts of the report that were filed. And then Jeff Duncan, who's also a columnist at NOLA.com and a Fox 8 TV analyst, I'm guessing, in that local area, um, he basically retweeted it saying that, that the video of the fight corroborates the victim's version of the stories. Now, Alvin Kamara said, apparently, in his statement that they were, like, someone in his posse, in his crew that was running with them, was provoked. And that's how the fight started. The victim says, no, I guess the video probably doesn't have any audio, so we don't know if that actually happened. But still, I guess the disappointment for me comes because I really thought that Kamara, like Justin said, understood that you can't let situations get to this point, um, being in the type of life situation that you are in, right? 
as much as you may want to be a regular person, you're not. And I'm, I'm not trying to say, oh, well, he's a role model for the kids and blah, blah, blah. I'm not, it's not even that, right? It's just that you're a pro athlete, though. So you are in the limelight. And forget the kids, kids aside, a regular fight for you is not going to be a regular fight for us. So, so imagine it getting, like, like publicity-wise, of course, so imagine it getting to this stage where your crew stomping out a dude like, like there was Columbus shot and, and the theaters. Like, seriously? That, <laughs> like, to, to that extent, seriously? get if, if it was a fist fight between he and, he and someone else, I'd say, you know what? This is, this is being overblown. But to actually beat a man, you and, and, and others, until he's unconscious, like, it's just not a good look. I, I, I honestly don't think that he's going to see any jail time, and I'm not going to pass any judgment or state my case as to whether he should or shouldn't. That's not what I'm here to, to discuss. It, it is just kind of disappointing that someone in his position does not recognize that you, you can't, you, you need to leave the hood. You need to leave the hood in, in certain um, situations. So this is, this is not one of them. If, if you're fighting with somebody, do the regular fisticuffs, you know what I mean? But to have the entire crew beating on somebody, it's just not a good look, man. So I don't have any notes written on this one because I don't, I don't need any notes on this one. Alvin Kamara has been my favorite player in the NFL from the day the Saints drafted him. From the from his first snap, I have had limitless joy watching him and his mazy runs all the way down the field. And the balance that he has been working on in his off-season workouts, like that's my guy. But my guys let me down. That's the truth. There's no other way to put it. He has let not just me down, but he's let everybody in the entire Hudak Nation down by getting into this fight. Regardless of what the circumstances were, he threw eight punches into the guy. And three of the punches reportedly were when the guy was flat out on his back on the ground. So, like, what are we doing? And as you guys articulated before he's a professional athlete so being a professional athlete this is a man that hits people for a living or at least he tries to avoid getting hit for a living but he does you know he puts some leather on people from time to time right you're not built like me who is a slender 220 pounds at six foot two or whatever He's five foot, like slender. Ten. Yeah, slender. <laughs> 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 slender six foot two to twenty. Slender six foot two to twenty. I don't, I don't, I don't. To me, don't pick it, look it. But you're gonna tell me otherwise. But Alvin Kamara is less than six feet tall, and he weighs almost as much as I do. He's a short powerhouse, and that mm. is going to be taken into consideration anytime you get into anything with anybody off the field. It's not to the point where like you're a boxer or. Mm. There's something like that you're involved in combat sports. Yeah. But the fact still remains that as a professional athlete, your body is trained to an extent that is further than the regular man. And therefore, you have to exercise control. If you lost control in this situation, chances are he like you, AJ, he might not get um he might not get jail time because even the victim didn't name him to the police. So it's possible that the victim may not be looking to 
press charges to the full extent of the law. And like you're, say, you're saying, Ricky, this is going, he is going to be rewarded handsomely yes. for getting his eye fractured. Yes. But the fact still remains, like, Stating. I'm not even going to the football side of it at all. Come on, Alvin, we, we got to do better than this. Yeah. I stand balanced, Ken, like we see him in the offseason. We need our balance in life. The fellas got to realize that we need that kind of balance in life. Correct. So that was Pro Bowl weekend and the negatives that came out from it. Now we are on to the more juicy topic of coaching. Imagine mm. coaching is considered to be juicy versus actual football, but that is where we are at currently. Now the coaching carousel for the 2022 season has come to a close. That carousel has stopped spinning. And we will get to all of the teams and their choices for head coaching in a second. But one no household name that remains unemployed is Brian Flores, who, in case you forgot, is suing the NFL for racially discriminatory practices in their hiring process. One team that he was a candidate for was the New York Giants. Just a quick review, because we talked about this last week. Who, a candidate. <laughs> yeah, a candidate. Who would detail him getting the test messages from Bill Belichick, congratulating him for getting the post even before he interviewed, thinking that he was Brian Dibble. And then he named the Broncos and the Dolphins also in his lawsuit. Since then, John Elway has responded to Flores' allegations, saying in part that it was unfortunate and shocking that he didn't feel they were prepared and engaged and that the assumption made about his appearance and state of mind was subjective, hurtful, and just plain wrong. And this is a direct quote from his statement. If I appeared disheveled as he claimed it, as he claimed, it was because we had flown in during the middle of the night, immediately following another interview in Denver, and were going on a few hours of sleep to meet the only window provided to us. Stephen Ross said, with regards to the allegations being made by Brian Flores, I am a man of honor and integrity and cannot let them stand without responding. Ross said in Wednesday night's statement, I take great personal exception to these malicious attacks and the truth must be known. His allegations are false, malicious and defamatory. We understand there are media reports stating that the NFL intends to investigate his claims and we will cooperate fully. I welcome that investigation and I am eager to defend my personal integrity and the integrity and values of the entire Miami Dolphins organization from these baseless, unfair and disparaging claims. The Giants also had their response, which is pretty lengthy, but they said in summary that Belichick, one, does not speak for and has no affiliation with the Giants, and that his texts provide no insight into what actually transpired during their coaching search. They said that they made the offer to Dable a full day after Flores' interview and gave the whole itinerary of Flores' interview schedule. So... AJ and I, we talked about this last week. So, Ricky, we'll start with you. How do these responses make you feel about Flores' lawsuit and his prospects? All right. Um, thought a lot about this. Just thinking about this as a professional in any field. 
if you're going to go to the point of accusing your employer, or in this case, potential employer of something as big and significant as this, you must have what you believe to be cause. You must have evidence of, of repeated instances. I don't even think you go to something like this with an isolated instance, right? Mm -hmm. Therefore, when I think about it and I put myself in a position as a professional, again, in any field, I said to myself, you really have to know that you've been wronged and you've been wronged repeatedly, especially if you're on the global stage that is entertainment and sports to the NFL. Therefore, I, I can't believe that Flores is going to do this without evidence of some kind. Um, looking at the text message thread uh, with Belichick, uh, definitely not a good look for, for, for those involved. But again, I have to believe that Flores has more to it than this. And because he doubled down yesterday after the hiring of Lovey Smith and had his team come out and say what they said, it tells me that Flores and by extension his team think that they need to send a message about things that are going on. Um, the other thing that, that hit home with me with this, Ken, is that I didn't hear other uh, owners and franchises coming out with shock and awe. I didn't hear players coming out to defend these organizations, right? Where are the, where are the gold jacket giants who should be coming out and defending the giants? Where is Michael Strahan and by extension, all of the, the giants and the Broncos, right? Did Shannon Sharp come to the defense of his Denver Broncos and say, no, this organization would never? No, deafening silence from the Miami Dolphins, the New York Giants, and the Denver Broncos. When you can't, as a player who went into the Hall of Fame on the basis of playing for these organizations, you can't come and defend those organizations when they're accused like this. That speaks volumes to me too. So it is not just about Flores. This is an opportunity for people to defend these accusations and stand by their team and their tribe, so to speak, and nobody did it. That alone well, tells me. One person did, but he mm -hmm. doesn't have a gold jacket. And I'm mm -hmm. not surprised. And I will not cast aspirations on that person's character. But right. one person did it, and I was not shocked at the person who did it. And that was Tiki Barber. Tiki Barber mm -hmm. came out in defense of the Maras and right. the Giants organization. But right. if you've watched football long enough, yes. I didn't know Tiki Barber. Yeah. I'll just say that that's not a surprise. You, you can't trust Tiki as far as you could throw him. And he's those are your words, those are your words not me. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Ricky. I just wanted to throw that in that. Oh, I agree. So just to say it again, like, I always look at the, the human behavior, I guess, as a marketing person. I look at human behavior. And when you can't come out and defend your tribe, I have reason to believe that there's a lot more to this than, than we are hearing right now. What are you, Justin? What's your take? Oh, it's a lot. But quickly, as Ricky said, he has to feel extremely wrong to come out and have a lawsuit when he knows he's essentially ending his NFL career. I mean, he has to know this. He, he said it, and then we don't have to look any further than Colin Kaepernick to know that this is the end of Brian Flores getting a head coaching job in the NFL. I would hope, as Ricky said, 
that Flores has more evidence than what we've been told so far. Because let us look for the two outside incidents first. The situation with Bill Belichick is not enough because any law court could just say, well, this is just circumstantial evidence. There's just like, part, pardon me? A timing issue. They could, he, yeah. It could just... He said, he said argue. based on timing. Exactly. He, he said, she said, and it's also a situation where, you know, who is to say that Bill Belichick got this information on the inside? Like, we know that. But who is to say that Bill Belichick was it guessing, figuring that he was hearing rumors? There's nothing succinct. There's nothing guaranteed tying Bill Belichick's text to what goes on in the New York Giants organization because Bill Belichick does not work there. He's not an employee. He's not paid by them. So they don't even need to address that situation. They, they really don't. As, again, you know, with the Broncos, I... I'm not going to refute what Flores saw, but how is he going to prove that these guys were enumerated unless he has video evidence? And even then still, John Elway can simply say, as he said already, we were tired, uh, disheveled from traveling. I mean, I know, and we all know the difference between a man that's suffering from jet lag and a man that's <laughs> suffering from a hangover. Like, we all know. And Brian <laughs> <laughs> Flores is not an idiot. He knew what he saw and whatever. But how is he going to prove? Does he have blood alcohol level? Can he? Did he stick somebody in the arm and say, or did he tell them walk this straight lane? Does he have proof without a shadow of a doubt that these men were enumerated, as he said? But now to the situation, the real situation that I think is going to win or we can see some change happening in Miami. For him to come out and say he was offered money to tank and as much as $100,000 for every loss that he got that particular season when they were tanking for two of This tells me for him to put that in a lawsuit that he has physical hard evidence. That is the one that might catch the big fish, pun intended. Yeah, <laughs> he's going to catch the big fish here, right? And the only issue is that, again, the league investigation is going to be a joke because there's the owners investigating themselves. Like, so nothing's going to come of that. But they have to believe Flores has hard, solid proof that this happened. And like Ricky said, it was not a one-off scenario. And the reason why I believe he has proof is because there's something called defamation. And I found it funny that this man has, you know, put this suit at you, claiming something that's serious and egregious that you are paying him to type and you did not file a countersuit of defamation. Because that is a, like, like, you are there breaking the rules. And then the other one, was him courting an under-contract Tom Brady. That is also a breach of league rules. If I am to believe that Brian Flores has the evidence, which he should, because no lawyer worth his salt is going to come and pick up this case without it, I think we're going to see the end of Stephen Ross inside mm -hmm. the NFL as an order.
That one thing I am sure of. No to the point I really want to make in terms of Dorian Flores, because I know he's doing this to change the hearts and minds of the people employing and making these decisions to hire people that look like them. This lawsuit will change nothing other than the ownership in Miami, unless the most important part of labor in the NFL finally takes a stand. And I'm talking about the labor force as in the players. And they must now realize they have the power and it's time for them to stop looking at them on their own selves, their own selfish interests, because like Eric Bieniemy, like Brian Flores, they're former players. And at one point, a lot of them will become coaches at some point. You are not away from this. You are not separate from this. This is going to become your reality at some point. This is a fraternity. I hate to agree with a flat earther like Kyrie Irving, <laughs> but the players, the only way, the only way to really evoke change, and we've seen it as black people throughout the history of mankind, it is by protest and protest action in this situation, it has to be a boycott. And the boycott has to come at the Super Bowl. This is the only way that you're going to hit home. And I know, guys, it sounds very drastic, but drastic times come for drastic measures. And the owners are going to continue. Like, they put the Rudy rule, did not change. They amended the Rudy, Rudy rule, where you would be compensated with a third-round compensatory pick. The owner said, I would rather not have that third-round pick than they have a black man coaching my teams or being a general manager or a person in my front office. You can sit down and probably penalize these owners and it will not change a damn thing. These owners would rather put incompetent coaches, and I won't call names, but these owners would rather put incompetent coaches and refuse to make the playoffs than hire a black man. Call them gears. <laughs> well, you can call him. <laughs> They'd rather hire Adam Gase than put a black man. And I won't go to some of the other recent coaching hires. It's going Agreed. to call the only way these owners understand, the currency these owners understand to coin Ricky's phrase is money. And you're going to have to hit them hard. Either you boycott the Super Bowl or threaten to boycott the 2022 NFL season. But it has to be the players, the coaches, and the black people in, in, in high positions in the NFL have no say. We're not going to see a black owner in the NFL in our lifetime. Like, I can could, I could guarantee that unless it's somebody like Jay-Z and we all know the situation there already. The only people with power in this situation, the players themselves, and they are the ones who are going to have to vote change. But unfortunately, I don't see that happening. They're going to have to boycott or threaten to boycott the Super Bowl or threaten to boycott the 2022 season or any season subsequent to this. But this lawsuit is going to come from now. What about you, AJ? What's your latest take on these recent developments? Okay, so when we um, broached the topic initially last week, um, so I, I kind of want to piggyback off of some of the points that the guys already made. So 
Last week, guys, I did say uh, that the Belichick text correspondence holds little weight, to be quite honest. Um, as, as Ricky already noted, that circumstantial evidence is not substantial. There's nothing much behind it. And then Justin went on to make this point about the accusations that were leveled against Stephen Ross. Those are the more, that is the more damning one, I should say, right? And he also noted the fact that, that there was not even a counter lawsuit for, for um, defamation of character, slander, libel, whatever, however you want to put it. Um, but I don't want to go back through everything because Justin did a, a very good job articulating Sorry, that. Sorry, it's so. too long, but... No, 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 you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. Because, because the main point that I have to make is, is something that you guys have not mentioned as yet, actually. I do also like and agree with your point, Justin, that the only change that will come about will come from the players actually taking action, whether it is some sort of protest slash boycott, right? I think it's hard to do because it's really hard to get everyone on board and, and tell players right now, well, yeah, you need to compromise your money now so that we can have this change in the future, right? Um, it's hard, but not impossible. Improbable, but not impossible. Um, so to get into my points now, I, let me say that I, I really do hope that something comes of this, right? Whether it be like how far-fetched, however far-fetched that may seem, whether it is more transparency from organizations on their hiring process or the actual hires or some amendment to the Rooney rule or what have you, right? I do believe, however, that this change is going to come at the expense of Brian Flores' career, head coaching career, rather. Um, at this point, there are too many loopholes present for owners to utilize. There are too many. And I'll, let me get into an example that I'm pretty shocked that no one mentioned as yet, the whole Texan situation. So Flores' attorneys released their statement initially. And if you read the statement, like the first few sentences, they're commending Houston for hiring a black coach. But then later on in the exact same statement, they go on to condemn and vilify the Houston Texan organization because the black hire was not Brian Flores. So despite, and that's despite him having interviewed and, and their claims that there was mutual interest, interest between the parties, right? So ultimately what Houston did is hired a black man from within their own organization. Now, let me sidetrack for a bit and say that I know you all agree with me. The Texans are a joke of a franchise. From the head all the way down to the tail, right? And, and the, the, this hiring is an absolute farce. But, uh, uh, sorry, and Flores' lawyers may actually be correct in their assessment, <laughs> even though that statement is oozing with libel, huh? but, but, but how do you prove that? How do, how do his lawyers prove that? Like, you say you want more minorities to get these positions. Okay, so if I'm the Texans, I hire a minority head coach. No, you're moving the goalposts, saying that because I didn't hire who you wanted me to hire, namely you, that, mm -hmm. and, and instead that I chose to promote from within, that mm -hmm. I did something wrong, well, well, prove it. Prove it. Prove that. I, I'm, I, I'm not against what Flores is trying to achieve, but I think he is being a bit counterproductive in what he's doing. It's going to take a while for a change to come with regard to the Rooney rule and whatever hiring of, of black and other minority personnel. Uh, but in the meantime, Brian Forrest is going to suffer for it. He is going to suffer for it. And that's just the reality. Those are the facts. I, I, I hope he's mentally prepared for it because this guy was really on live TV saying that he still has aspirations of being a head coach in the NFL. That is what that is his dream job. That's what he really wants to do. He considers himself a leader of men. Well, 
you may have jeopardized that. I know he's, he also said that, yeah, well, if it has to come at the expense of my job, well, okay. But to me, that just sounded like the right thing to say. This man really wants to be a head coach. And I don't know how he's going to achieve that by, by um, like in the midst of this lawsuit. And like I said, there are loopholes. These organizations don't have to hire him. And at this point, they don't have to prove why they chose not to hire him. So I, uh, Brian Flores has dug himself an extremely deep ditch and he has absolutely no ladder or rope. Let me just amplify what AJ said there. Um, when I heard the presser from his lawyers, I found it interesting because you're saying that you want to see more black coaches have opportunities to be head coaches. Um, Texans called your bluff and hired a black coach. How do you then call a presser to have an issue with it if that's but, your ultimate goal? Really, so essentially, essentially, the statement, the, the, what they're trying to say is, well, hire a black coach, but the black coach should be me. Exactly. Like, and... And there is the flaw in anyone who is a detractor of Flores and, and what he is trying to stand for now. I totally get how you could be a detractor of that. And I saw a lot of it on social media and I, I understand the, the logic thread there as well. And because let me exactly just say, uh, let me just say, sorry, let me just say, I'm not a detractor of Flores, right? Like I right. said, I want change to come about, but I'm, right. I'm dealing in absolute fairness here. Correct. You have to be able to prove these things, Brian. Correct. And you have to be fair with it. Correct. And ultimately, if you are saying that this is what you want, this is the end goal, you may call your bluff. They gave Lovey Smith an opportunity. Lovey is not chopped liver. Lovey took a team to the Super Bowl. So let's not act like, I get it. We all get it. We understand the game that's being played. But Lovey took a team to the Super Bowl. Lovey was a head coach for, for Chicago and Tampa Bay. So, and like, they may just say, like, what they did with the guy from Baltimore, um, David Cully, is it? That's Cully, his name? yeah. Right. It was Cully, yeah. David Cully, like what did David Cully and gave him a one year? The man actually took a guy that has a track record, right? So it is, it's just not checkers, Brian Boy. It's just not checkers. See, so just not to belabor the point and to parrot a lot of the stuff that you guys said, because I mean, you've articulated a lot of things where this is concerned. I thought that the comments that were made by Ross were interesting but as you said you don't come out as strongly against your former owner unless you got some backative unless you got something in your back pocket that mm -hmm. when he starts to plant all over mm -hmm. the place you can say well hold on to this here sir and Sorry. then see what he has to do but when you let know at the other points that he's making like when the giants the giants said Basically, we had this man in our building from 8 o'clock to 3.30 p.m. And we can document every single step that happened. And we have proof to show that the offer was not made until a day mm -hmm. after he came in. What's your move now, Mr. Flores? You don't have one. They've literally checkmate that portion of the thing. Mm -hmm. As you talked about not having the verification of the Broncos. blood alcohol levels of the Denver folks that came in, they can hold up their plane tickets and show that, hey, listen, we flew in from, we left Denver at X time, we landed at Y time, this was the window that you gave us, and this is why we were here at this time, and this is why, if you think that we may not have been whatever, this might be why. So, again, 
How do you prove it, Mr. Flores? It's just like if I see somebody swerving on the road and I call the police and say, hey, look, this man is drunk. I can't prove that he's drunk. I nope. I, I haven't seen him drinking, let alone mm -hmm. to check his level to say that he's been drinking. So there goes another problem. And then when the Giants are going to say also, but your, your, your smoking gun is Bill Belichick, who has absolutely no affiliation with our team. Like, what are we doing? So I admire Brian Flores for what he's attempting to do. But unless he has a lot more than we have seen so far, yeah. he's putting his, he has literally painted himself into a corner. And this is, it's not as if to say, like, he was the first one to trade this and he had no idea how this was going to go. Mr. Flores, you were a head coach when Colin Kaepernick was looking for a job and you were out here running a two-quarterback system and you didn't bring Kaepernick in to give him a chance. So instead of you doing all of that, then um, no, you are you have his example and you um, know what happened to him. No, you're coming and trying the same exact thing. Okay, so Kaepernick could have probably proven his collusion, but we'll never know because first off, the NFL has an arbitration clause. Therefore, if you are suing the NFL as an employee of the NFL, you can't take them to court, whereas open hearings is arbitration, everything is closed. We will never know. So if you get money or you don't get money, we will never know unless somebody breaks the NDA and that's not going to happen. That's point number one. Point number two, after we have gone through all of the hearings, we've gone through everything, nothing is going to change because until we get some black owners in the NFL, who are then going to be looking to hire black executives all throughout the teams in the NFL, we are still going to be faced with the same as that situation. And that brings me to my third point. As you guys have said, there is no way to prove that you did not get hired because of the color of your skin. Unless somebody wrote down somewhere, we are not hiring Brian Flores because he is black. Well, you, you mean... You mean it better check this phone right now? Yeah. White brain, black brain. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Unless you, get, unless you have something of that level. You know, you, unless you have the smoking gun to say, well, you were not hired because, sir, you are Negro and we wanted to have a Caucasian. You can't prove it. There is too many, there are too many different things that people can point to as to why you're not being hired. Which would lead also into Mr. Bienemy that we're going to talk about a little bit later. So I'm going to hop off that soapbox now because I'm sure that some of these other, some of the points I would have continued to make are going to come up as we talk about these coaches who just got hired. But I think you have something to say there, Justin, before Oh, we... no, no. I'm waiting patiently for Bienemy because <laughs> unlike Flores, no, he has points that he can break to because he can show you the shifting goalposts. So I'm just waiting for you to segue patiently, whenever you're ready. Okay.